Thanks for listening to one of our messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in person and online. To find out more about our church or to connect to any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. Hey everybody, how are we today? Good, good morning. Welcome to CBC. If we haven't met, my name is Charlie. I would love to meet you, but not today. That sounds awful. Um, No, I'd love to meet you. I'm normally right down here after the service, but today my family and I are going to catch a flight right after this and fly to Tampa. Because that's what I want to do today is get on an airplane with two kids under three. It's going to be the best. Uh, so if you can't catch me today, I'll be back in, in a week or so, and I'd love to, to meet you. Before we dive into our text this morning at CBC, we, we come here each Sunday and we acknowledge that this is a centering place for us. What we mean by that is, is the rest of the world is interpreted by what we talk about here today by our relationship with God. And it's so hard because the world tells us that the rest of our world is defined by what happens outside of the space, outside of our relationship with God. And so it's just a simple acknowledgement before the Lord and before each other and inside our spirit this morning that this space centers us. And so we come here today knowing that God is near. We come here today knowing that God's going to speak to us through one of the Ten Commandments. Today is do not steal. You're thinking, I'm good. I can go. No, you cannot. Sit down, right? But we come here today knowing that God is good to us. And as we talk through this text a little bit, it's my hope and my prayer that we see more of the beauty and goodness of God. And so we're just going to start by recentering ourselves. And I'm going to ask that you pray. I'm going to ask that, that you pray for your spirit, that it might hear from the spirit of God this morning. I'm going to ask that you pray for me, that I might do a good job but with this text. The family's passed around some of the daycare funk, so that too. Um, let's pray, and then let's get into some text together. God, I'm thankful to be here. I'm thankful to be reminded week in and week out that I'm anchored in what you say I am, that I'm anchored in what the scriptures tell me is good, that I'm anchored in how the scriptures tell me to treat one another. So, Lord, as we gather this morning, I just pray that you show us why that's good for us. Holy Spirit, speak to us today. And in a passage that is pretty topical and, and, and pretty easy to understand on the surface, just reveal more of why, how it applies to us and how you're good to us even through this command. I'd ask, if you're comfortable, just take a couple seconds and pray and ask the Spirit to shape and form your spirit this morning. And I ask you pray for me, that the Holy Spirit might use my preparation and my words to show us a bigger, more beautiful picture of a God who loves us and is worthy of worship. Pray these things in his name. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. Hey, so I'm getting on a plane today and going to Tampa, but do you know what I'm really excited for? Next Saturday night, I'm going to my very first country western concert, everybody. I know. I'm going to Garth Brooks. <laughs> Can I tell you that? Yeah. And let me tell you about how I feel. I, for some reason, I, I love me some Garth Brooks. I always have. But also, I don't feel at home in country western concert venues. The last time I wore cowboy boots was when I was curly in Oklahoma my senior year. All right? <laughs> it is not my forte. 
And this week I was actually listening to some Garth Brooks and he's got this one song called Wild Horses Will Carry Me Away. I'd sing it for you, but let's leave that till Saturday. And it's one of my favorite songs. And then at the same time, I was listening to a podcast and I heard this preacher talk about something they do. Once a year, they bring in a professional horse trainer breaker person. I'm sure there's a name for that that's more eloquent than what I just did, okay? This guy breaks horses. And, and on a Sunday morning, they come in and he breaks a horse from start to finish, like I guess right in the service. His ministry is actually to go to jails and to do this in front of inmates. Do you know why? His whole idea, and I guess the facts point this out, which I didn't know. I thought wild horses were bigger, faster, and stronger. It's not true. You know that a broken horse is stronger than a wild horse? A broken horse lives longer than a wild horse. A broken horse is faster than a wild horse. They say one person and one broken horse can round up a hundred wild horses if they want to. You know that? And why I say that is because what this guy teaches on is if you plug into or get under the right authority in your life, whether that's the cowboy breaking the horse or whether that is the good Lord himself, life is more full and life leads to more flourishing. This is what we're talking about with the Ten Commandments. We're simply saying when we get under the authority of a God who's good, our lives are better. That's what we're talking about, this being the joy of boundaries. In the last couple weeks, we've dealt with it with different passages that are harder. Don't murder is, a, is God's proclamation for life, and then don't commit adultery is God's proclamation for marriage, the very beginning point of life. And today, seemingly, we get a week off for those heavy topics, which is simply do not, please do not uh, steal from one another. And you might think, I know what that means, and I know that I don't do it, and that's good. Actually, 86%. Barnett did a study, 86% of adults claim they're completely satisfied with God's law against stealing. Do you know why they're satisfied with it? Because 90% think they don't do it, right? <laughs> and what I want to do today is make us more uncomfortable with those two claims at the end of it. I want to make us more uncomfortable with the fact that we're completely satisfied with God's law because hopefully maybe we see that we do it more than we think we do. Because when God says don't steal, it's, it's not just don't take other stuff. It's about our relationship with stuff and how we portray the beauty of a God who provides to his people. And so let's get into it. The text, Exodus 20, 15, you will not, shall not, do not steal. And before we get into the idea of theft, and we're going to define it, and it's a tough thing to pin down because it's the most broad of all the Ten Commandments, before we get into that, you have to understand that this text, above the other texts in the Ten Commandments, presupposes something. Do not steal presupposes ownership personal and private ownership. So you got to do something with that. You got to say, was this just a contextualized law for God's people or does God presuppose and provide and expect personal private ownership? What, what I think we see throughout the scriptures is that God gives things for people to own. And that's very important because we're going to get to it at the end. But it's a nuanced point about how we think about stuff. What the Bible talks about is that you own things and I own things and that's good to own things. Before we can talk about stealing, we have to start with the fact that if you steal from somebody, there's somebody that owns something that can be stolen in the first place. The Bible promotes personal and private ownership. And you might say, well, Charlie, if you go to the book of Acts in the New Testament, didn't they just like put all their stuff in the middle like a big Annie at a poker table and you just took what you wanted, you know? They shared everything. Well, not necessarily, it's a little different. They still held on to their stuff. They still had personal houses. They met in them. They still had property that they had on their own. They just said, hey, I, I'm willing to give this up if it's for the good of the gospel. 
I still own it, but man, if you need it, it's, it's yours too. It's a beautiful depiction of what it means to fully love one another in the church. Like, sure, I, I have these things, but they're, they're not mine. They're for our collective good together. And so this idea of do not seal starts with this idea of personal and private ownership. But also this commandment of don't steal has, an in, is, has a, a different relationship to all the other commandments because you, you can make a case that breaking any of the other commandments is breaking this command not to steal. Bowing to idols steals God's worship. Desecrating the Sabbath steals his holy day. Murder steals life. Adultery steals purity. Lying steals truth. You can make a case that this one command encapsulates all the other commands. It's the most broad of all the commands. Simply do not steal. So what I want to do next is just kind of try and get our hands around defining this because it's more complicated than just don't take stuff. But, but that's where it begins. I'm going to give you three or four different nuances or categories or buckets that the Old and New Testament put in this idea of don't steal. But real quick, as a, as a small caveat, uh, there's a verse in Proverbs I want to get to. Proverbs 6.30, people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he's starving. All right, so just because I like nuance, and I would speak to tension and nuance all day long. We live in a broken world. Sometimes the world isn't as black and white as we want to tell our kids because it's hard. Sometimes the choice isn't right and wrong. It's wrong and wrong, you know? And so every once in a while, not with what we're talking about today, but every once in a while, if you've got to steal to feed your family in a third world country, I don't know if God's mad at that. I don't think this is talking about that. Let's just distance it from that because I'm an antagonist. And if you come to me and said, God said stealing's wrong all the time, I'm going to say, well, what if my kid's starving, right? I'm that guy, all right? Fun conversationalist, everybody, you know? And so when he, when he talks about it, when we talk about it today, it's more in the realm of black and white. And, and what it means is like, you have something that I want and I'm going to take it, not because I need it, but because I want it. And so the first thing we get to when we talk about stealing is simply the first thing you think about. Stealing is taking somebody else's stuff. I am reminded about the fact that I, I want to put myself in that category of nine of 10 that say they don't steal. <laughs> But then, but then this week, I was thinking about that. And for some reason, when I think about stealing, I think of big things, not small things. Uh, there's a coffee cup I use at CBC. It's the only one I use. And it's got a picture of Pike's Peak on it. And it says, Steve. Do you know what it says, Steve? It belonged to Steve. <laughs> <laughs> It's probably five years ago. Steve was the last senior pastor here. Great man. I loved him. We worked together for 10 years, and I saw it in his office, and I said, Steve, that is an amazing-looking mug. I said, man, that, that looks like it was made, like, in the 80s. And he said, it, it was. And I said, Steve, you know what else was made in the 80s? I said, this guy. <laughs> he said, actually, you can only get it at the top of Pikes Peak. That's the only place you can get it. I looked. I tried to find it on Amazon, other marketplaces. You can only get it. He did it in the 80s when you go up to the top of Pikes Peak. And I really like this mug. So I took it. <laughs> About four months later, he looked at me and said, Charlie, are you ever going to give me my mug back? And I said, Steve, it shows me. And I walked away. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and to this day, I still have it. He's gone. The mug is mine. I'm a thief, everybody. I'm just confessing right here, right now. When we think about do not steal, sometimes we only think about the big things, not the small things. Uh, and, and what I think we lose in that is where we're going to get to, which is the undermining message it sends when we take things from people. Uh, another thing I want to point out when it says don't steal, take something that's not yours, 
Usually when you ask non-believers why they, they don't do Jesus, why they have a hard time with Jesus, there's three or four questions that come up. The theodicy is one of them. If God is all powerful and all good, why do bad things happen? Can he not stop it or does he not care? Um, and then another one is usually about creation and earth. And then another one, usually top three, is about slavery in the Bible. So it looks like this. Uh, the Bible never says slavery is bad. And I have a problem with that because how can God be loving and still say slavery isn't bad? And there's a lot of answers for that. But if anybody asks you that, you go to stealing. Exodus 21, 16 Whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found possession of him shall be put to death. One thing we have to note is slavery was different in the Old and New Testament than it was uh, when we got into it in uh, America's history. But chattel slavery has always been, always been, always been detestable by God because people aren't ours to own. They're God's to define and give his image towards and to show others that God is good. And so when people come to us as Christians and say, what about slavery? You go here. You say, God is not happy with it. God has always detested it. And this practice was fundamentally different, different than, than the cultures around them. Can you imagine God saying in Exodus 21, don't own people. If you do, if you steal a man, you will die to a group of people who spent 400 years being owned by another people. It's a radical statement about how God values individuals. So when he says don't steal, he means possessions, he means people, he means those things that you don't have that I want. But the phrase is also very much more broad than just the stuff around us. It also gets into how we see others, how we treat others, and what we take away from others that might not be material possessions. In talking about this command in Leviticus, it says this, do not defraud or rob your neighbor, steal from your neighbor. And then it describes it. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. So what it's getting to is if you literally steal the value or worth from someone else, if you don't pay them, you're robbing them. In the Old Testament, in the A&E, in the ancient Near East, what would happen is you'd hire a day laborer, and then at the end of the day, you'd agree to pay him. And you'd walk through the fields, and you'd say, well, this isn't done exactly well. I'm just not going to give you your money. Well, I don't like what you did here, so I don't think you've earned it. And what the Bible says is this person provided a service of worth and you're denying that value, that service, that's worth. That is not just being picky, that's robbing from people. You are stealing from them. I was a, a waiter in college. And do you know the shift that waiters don't want to work over all other shifts? Sunday afternoon. Do you know why? It's church folk. We are some cheap, cheap people, everybody, you know? <laughs> they don't want to work because tips are lower. They don't want to work it because <coughs> they show up and they work hard and usually nobody wants to work Sunday mornings or Sunday afternoons and, 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 and usually people don't get what they feel like they earn or deserve. I'm not here saying tip more. I'm simply saying, what if as a church we were known by how much we gave and on how much we held back? Because when we hold back, we steal from people that do a job or a service for us. It broadens the value of what worth is. Not just what you have, but what you've worked for. If you don't give people what they're owed, you are stealing from them. And, and with these three or four different categories we're going to bring up, and there's a lot of places you can go in your mind that you need to go in your mind that we can't touch on, but what it means to rob from other people. So the first one is possessions. The second one is worth or value or of a good labor or service. Um, it says this in Proverbs 22, a good name is more desirable than great riches. 
It says when you slander a person, you're basically stealing their good reputation, which is something of great value. So it's not just their stuff or it's not just their services. Literally, the scriptures make a case that when you talk ill about somebody, you are robbing them of their reputation. You are stealing their good name from them. And Proverbs said the good names are the things we fight for. They're more important than the stuff we have. Shakespeare said this, who steals my purse steals trash. But he that, that, uh, that, that steals from me my good name makes me poor indeed. Well, this idea that when we talk about stealing, we have to broaden it more to outside of just stuff, but into the worth and value of goods and services and also the worth and value of reputation. It's not just you're slandering somebody, it's you're robbing from them. It's a breaking of the eighth commandment. Look, and... And we live now, we live in a time and place when you can rob somebody of their, uh, you can rob somebody of their good name with one click and one bad night, you know? You get a lot of, you know, online courage and you go on there and you type something or write something and maybe you had a bad day or maybe they did and they don't really believe that or you don't really believe that. We are so quick, we are so quick to ruin the reputation of people because the Bible says it's, it's not okay to do that. You're stealing from them. That's why if you talk to business owners, I have a buddy of mine who owns a, a, a build design firm in Dallas, and he despises Yelp. He does. Because he says one person has one bad day. They go in there, they give you one star, and it wrecks your business for months. You can't get rid of that one star. They hate it. We've had a couple people that went on our little website and gave us one star, right? I found them. I'm kidding. No, it's fine, but... I just, I just wonder if we're called to do something bigger and better and greater than simply vent online about the reputation of people. I wonder if it's something we thought more closely about protecting and not just tearing down. I wonder if we really saw it as stealing from that person, if it would give us pause before we click send, before we made a comment, before we talked about who people are and how they function without fully knowing. The Bible says stealing is more than just stuff. It's worth, it's goods, it's reputations. It goes on to say that stealing is, and it's a broad category or bucket, stealing is any kind of fraud of all kinds. Proverbs 11.1, 1, the Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. There's a lot in the Old Testament about inaccurate measurements, and everything was measured and paid out because of their measurements in an agrarian society. So any kind of tripping of or frauding somebody of uh, measurement is God saying, you're not just lying to them, you're, you're stealing from them. I think the equivalent today is, you know, you go to Whole Foods right after this and they don't charge you for something and you know it and you're like, God is good, look at what he gave me. <laughs> no, no, no. I think our heart has to be one where we, we want others to see that we're not taking from them but giving towards them. Uh, I, I think another way that we fraud people is not just with goods and services and not just getting things that maybe we didn't pay for, but also I think time is a big one. Ephesians 6.5, slaves... Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. And do this not to please them while they're watching, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. You know, so often in this country, we only measure things by the currency that they provide us, or the currency they can, they can gain us. We're capitalists. But, but time is one of the greatest assets we have. And I think what the scriptures say, I think what he's saying with slaves in the New Testament is saying, hey, don't take advantage of your masters. I think what the principle there is when somebody employs you, use the time that you have for 
what you've been employed to do. Otherwise, you're defrauding them. And look, this, this is not saying I took an extra 15 seconds in the bathroom and I could have gotten out quicker. That is not what this is saying. We're not legalists. It's saying where's our heart and our relationship to our work? How are we treating our time towards the people that pay for our time? And so what the scriptures does is it lumps all of this together, all of this together under the umbrella of theft. I think a deeper question to ask as you move from the world of free markets and economics into the world of our hearts and the church is if we steal from others by not fully giving them all of our talents, times, and services when they're paying for it, do we steal from God when we don't use the talents and time he's given us for his good? I think this command about do not steal goes way deeper than simply stuff. And that's what people have written about. There was a document written in the late 1500s called the Heidelberg Catechism. And basically what those are, and it was kind of more common than it is today, obviously, as the church unfolded, is they would just ask these questions and they would have answers. And this is one of the more famous ones. And it was used to deepen our theological understanding of the nature and character of God. The Heidelberg one had 129 questions and answers, and it was divided into four categories, uh, introduction, misery, deliverance, and gratitude. And specifically about the Eighth Commandment, it asked this in question number 110. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? And it gives this answer. He forbids not only outright theft and robbery, punishable by law, but in God's sight of theft also includes cheating and swindling our neighbor by schemes made to appear legitimate such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandise and counterfeit money, excessive interests, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, he forbids all greed and pointless squanderings of his gifts. It broadens the definition of stealing to where if I ask, if nine out of ten of us actually think we don't do it, who can really say yes to that? Whether it's a cup, whether it's reputation, whether it's time, whether it's fraud, I think the point that this question makes is that in some ways we are thieves. Martin Luther said it like this. If we look at mankind in all its conditions, it is not ignoring but a vast, wide stable full of great thieves. It's the smallest part of the thieves that are hung. If we're to hang them all, where shall we get enough rope? We must make all our belts and straps into halters. What I think the scriptures do when they talk about theft is they define stealing by the unlawful appropriation of someone else's property for your prosperity, or, you put it another way, um, the unlawful gain with someone else's goods or services. It's much deeper than just, did I take a coffee mug or not? And here's the problem, is God says don't do that. God says don't do that because it's not good for you and it's not good for your friends and it's not good for your family and it won't lead to flourishing in societies. But as followers of Jesus, as people that ascribe to God being our authority, we have to ask another question. What's the deeper why behind the initial why? What's the deeper why? What does theft actually do when we do it? And I think fundamentally, every time we steal, we're not just stealing from others around us, we are fundamentally stealing from God because it's God who provides and, and when we steal, when we steal, we're either saying that God didn't provide for me or not allowing God to provide for someone else. When my wife and I got married, we had this small apartment in the design district uh, close to downtown, um, Flower Mountain, <coughs> Dallas. And um, it was like 600 square feet. 
And we invited some of my, our best friends over, and I made a roast chicken. I'm a big fan of like the classically executed roast chicken. It's one of the best things you can make. And so we made it, and I was excited. And it was a little small, but it was fine and filling. And I just loved the idea that now I'm married, and now my family can help provide for other people, and I can invite my friend over. About three years later, my buddy actually said, hey, you know we went and got fast food after that, right? You people do not eat. <laughs> you know? And I said, What? And you know, it was three years later. Man, I felt terrible because I felt like I couldn't provide for my friend, and that's what I wanted to do. When we steal, I wonder if we're telling God, you haven't provided enough for me, if it makes him sad like it made me. When we steal, we're stealing from God's ability to you, God's already abundant provision for us. That happens about once every 4.7 seconds in this country. In this country, where we have an abundance of everything. Every time we steal, I think we're telling the wrong story about God. Either that he hasn't provided enough, or to somebody else that God won't provide for you. Stealing is bad because it takes from others things that is theirs, but it's really bad because it tells the wrong story about God. Stealing robs people of seeing a God who provides. And and in the Old Testament and A&E context, their job was to show people that their God is different than all the other gods that he provided. Think about how this is written. This is written when they're about to wander in the wilderness for 40 years and God provided everything they needed. He just delivered them from Egypt and God provided everything they needed. He said, don't have a king because I'm going to provide everything you need. When you steal, you rob from the story that God is a provider. Whether it's a cup or something way, way bigger. I think fundamentally we've got to wrestle with why is theft bad because it tells the wrong story about a God who provides. And then I go to Genesis 1. Because why not? I love Genesis 1. But, but fundamentally, we get back to this conversation about being owners. And, and so if this text has implicit in it, this idea that we are supposed to own private property, it's because God gave us that design and that command from the beginning. In Genesis 1, when he's talking to Adam and even giving them purpose, he said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Roll over it, the fish, the sea, the birds, the sky, every living creature that moves on the ground. What, what God is doing there, and it's fundamentally important to understand our relationship and our role in this world, is to understand that when God says, take the world and subdue it, that word subdue in the Hebrew literally means to take dominion of and fight for its flourishing. It literally means to take control of something so that they might flourish and grow. I'm going to start coaching four-year-old soccer in the fall. I'm going to subdue that team. You know what I'm talking about? I'm going to subdue that team. We're going to have rules this year. Like, hey, please don't lay on the ground and cry at the same time. You're going to get stepped on. All right? It's going to be these little things that are going to lead to our flourishing. When it says subdue from the very beginning, from the onset of creation, God said, this is not, you're not renters of this creation. You're owners of it. I'm going to give you this so that you might subdue it, so that it might flourish, so that you might use the stuff that I've given you for the better idea to show people my beauty, my goodness, and my providence. When we steal, we don't do any of that. The eighth commandment is... It's a narrow sense about goods and wealth, but it's broader sense is about personal responsibility that we use our stuff not to take from others, but we use and repurpose our possessions for God's purposes. Do not steal is not a referendum on you taking stuff. Do not steal is more about us using what we have so that people might see a God who provides. And when we steal, they don't see that. They don't see it. And, 
And I think here and now, especially, we need to see a God who has provided all that we need for life and godliness, for joy and happiness. I think we need to see that God provides because when we show others that God provides, we show others that he cares, that he hasn't gone anywhere, that he loves you. So do not steal is all about how we show to provide the provision of God in our everyday. I love what Ephesians 4 says. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Do, do you know what it says the, the answer to theft is? It says, hey, here's the opposite of theft. Taking is juxtaposed by giving. So in a culture that seemingly keeps stealing stuff, he's calling the church to be a people that keep giving stuff. And you see it. You see it in the story of Zacchaeus. I don't know if you know that story. It's in, um, I think it's Luke, but he talks through the story of this tax collector. And you know that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, and then my little man syndrome's like, yeah, God loves us. So um, he's walking through. He sees Zacchaeus up in the trees, a tax collector, very short synopsis. Tax collectors were not liked people. Do you know Why? They robbed from their people. But not only did they rob from their people, they robbed from their people to give it to the people that were oppressing their people. They were really horrible, horrible men and women. And so Zacchaeus meets Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to go to your house today. And this text I love at the end of that says, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and I've cheated anybody out of anything. I will pay it back four times. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. You know what Jesus does? He turns burglars into benefactors. It reminds us that our call in creation is bigger than just don't steal things. It's fight for the flourishing of others by using what God's given you so that people might see that God provides. It's saying instead of stealing, use what you have to benefit those around you. Go back to the Heidelberg Catechism. It says, what does God require of you in this commandment? Question 111, that I do whatever I can for my neighbor's good, that I treat others as I would like them to treat me, and that I work faithfully so that I may share with those in need. There's a church father in the fourth century who uh, had a congregation in Constantinople. It was very wealthy people. Uh, his name was uh, Chrysostom. And this is a quote that he said to his people. He's preaching to this affluent group of people. I know nothing about what that's like. He's preaching to this affluent group of people because God's provided for them. And this is what he says to him. He says, this also is theft, not to share one's possessions. I beg you, remember this without fail, to share our own wealth with the poor, to, to not share our own wealth with the poor is theft from the poor and deprivation of their means of life. We do not possess our own wealth, but we possess theirs. The idea of do not steal is much bigger than just don't take. It's fight for the thriving of others so that people, people see a God who provides. And so as we live this principle out, I'm reminded of, of what Ignatius says. He says, ingratitude is the cause beginning and origin of all evils and sins. Maybe we steal because we don't know what we have and we're ungrateful. So maybe the beginning of this conversation, the next step in this conversation for you is to wake up every morning like a pastor friend of mine does and write down five things you're grateful for. Write down five ways that God's provided for you that you maybe wouldn't focus on. And in a consumeristic culture that constantly compares everything to one another, you know what's lost in that? Gratitude for God being a provider, a good provider. Uh, two, 
I think pretty easy application is in a culture that seemingly values theft, we need to be givers instead of takers. The Bible says, <coughs> when asked about stuff, that where our treasure is, our heart is also. But the reverse is also true. Where your treasure goes, your heart will follow. You know why I know that? I have people in this church that sent their kids to colleges they never would have gone to, and they loved that college, you know? You send your kid to TCU, and then all of a sudden you got all the games when they're graduated. And so maybe an application for us is simply be givers and allow that to change our hearts, to reorient our idea of good around a God who provides. Because as we look for places to give, you know what we realize? How much we have. How much we have. It fights this desire to steal. I love what Jerry Bridges says, pastor, theologian, about stuff. There's three um, attitudes we can take. One, is what's yours is mine, I'll take it. Two, is what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. And three, and this is Christ-likeness, what's mine is God's, I'll share it. And so today, we come together and we reorient ourselves around the goodness of God and we remember that this is what Jesus did for us. This is what Jesus did for us. He came and said, I will share my holiness and my righteousness and my goodness with you so that you might flourish. But he didn't have to. And so we're going to end today with communion. We have four tables spread out, but it's a, it's a simple reminder that the beginning of our faith is a gift that God gave to us. And that's what we're supposed to be. And that's what this commandment is fighting for. It's fighting for us to see God as a good provider. And when we steal, we rob others' ability of seeing God as a provider. So he says, don't do it. So we tell the right story about the God who's worthy of worship. So I'm going to pray for us, and then as you feel led, you can just come up and go to each one of these tables. It's gluten-free bread and some juice. As you take the bread and dip it in the cup, just remember where God has given you. Might that fight an inclination to steal? Might we remember that God is a provider? Let me pray. I'm thankful. But today I get to remember how much you've given for me, how much you've provided for me, I pray as followers of Jesus that we live in a way that shows how much you've given all of us. That we fight against stealing because it fights against the character of God that we know to be true. And, and as we become a more generous people, as we become a more giving people, we fully live into the commandment when it says, do not steal. And we start to build this connection between the world and a God who's given us so much. As we take communion, Holy Spirit, make us grateful for all the things Jesus did for us. Give us a gratitude for a God who provides so that we might, we might tell that story to the world around us. We pray these things in his name. Amen.